Okay. We're in First Second Kings chapter 1. Moving through the kings. All right, let me pray and we'll get into the word. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for this evening. Thank you for that wonderful worship led by our team up here. And God, we recognize that the ability to sing and play instruments and the notes themselves, Lord, you've create, you've made as part of your creation. We thank you, Lord, for that. And uh, Lord, we thank you that you allow us to, to sing with the gifts you've given to us and, and praise you and give you glory. And so, Lord, now as we enter into your word, we want you to be glorified. We, Lord, we want to be taught by you and we want to be encouraged. And Lord, we want to leave here looking more like your son, our savior, Jesus Christ. So we pray now that you bless this time. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, for Second Kings, I keep on saying First Kings. Second Kings, chapter one, we're moving through here. And uh, here we go. Chapter one, verse one, Moab rebelled against Israel after the death of Ahab. All right, we're gonna stop there. Uh, if you remember, Ahab uh, died, uh, of course, uh, God gave him actually an opportunity to repent. He, he kind of repented, not, not to following Christ, following God and honoring God, but, but just uh, recognizing that he shouldn't have stolen Naboth's vineyard. Uh, but then he goes into battle, takes an arrow, dies just as the prophet says he'll die. And now as Israel is not only falling, nor- the northern kingdom is not only falling apart spiritually, but also in its splendor and physically, uh, Moab takes the opportunity to say, we're out and uh, stop paying tribute to Israel. Verse 2, now Ahaziah fell through the lattice of his upper room in Samaria and was injured. So he sent messengers and said to them, go inquire of Baal-zebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover from this injury. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, <clears throat> the Tishbite, arise, go up to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria and say to them, is it because there is no God in Israel that you are going to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. So Elijah departed. Verse five, and when the messengers returned to him, he said to them, why have you come back? So they said to him, a man came up to meet us and said to us, go, return to, the king, return to the king who sent you and say to him, thus says the Lord, is it because there is no God in Israel that you are sending to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron? Therefore you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up to, but you shall surely die. So Ahaziah is the son of Ahab, and he took over in the death of Ahab, and he was up cruising around his balcony or whatever it was, and uh, turns out the lattice was rotten, and he had this accident where he falls through and, and is pretty uh, broken up. And so in his unbelief, he says, hey guys, go up to Ekron, ask Beelzebub, and by the way, that becomes later on another term for, uh, Lord of the Flies becomes another term for even Satan himself in the New Testament, but go up, ask Beelzebub if I'm going to survive this or not. And I love the fact that God intervenes by sending Elijah, the Tishbite, the prophet Elijah, to, to, inter, uh, to meet them along their way. And the question that he asks is, is, there, is it because there is no God in Israel that you're going to Ekron? Now, it's, it's not a question that necessarily needs to be answered. It's kind of a rhetorical question. But basically, uh, calling upon Ahaziah to recognize that the God he's going to is no God at all. And it's also calling out Ahaziah's unbelief. Basically, Ahaziah is rejecting the Lord God. And we kind of look at this story and go, why would somebody do this? But we see it all the time in our culture where someone is raised in the church or somebody knows the truth. But they, they keep living in such a way to deny the truth. They don't want the truth in their lives. They want to act like God doesn't exist. Yet every now and then they'll, they'll seek out God if it, if it works in their favor. Well, Ahaziah is told that because he's done that, he's going to die. Now, 
I just want to say this for one moment. This is kind of a merciful statement from God. It's a merciful action from God because Ahaziah, who is this unbeliever, is seeking out a foreign God and rejecting the God of Israel, the creator of all the earth and the giver of life. He's rejected God, yet God says, okay, you're going to die. That There's an opportunity there for Ahaziah to say, man, I better get my life in order. This is an opportunity for me to repent. It's an opportunity for me to cry out to this God, to ask for forgiveness. It's an opportunity for me to make things right before I die. But we don't see that Ahaziah does that. Actually, as as uh, the messengers come back and he says, why have you come back? And they tell him that uh, they give him the message. And then verse 7 says, then he said to him, what kind of a man was it who came up to meet you and told you these words? So they answered him, a hairy man wearing a leather belt around his waist. And, um, and really the idea is that, that, uh, <clears throat> a man who possessed hair. And so this, it, it very well could not so much be referring to, like, I mean, maybe uh, Elijah was one of those guys that's really a gorilla when he takes off his shirt, you know? Uh, <laughs> what's that? Oh, a, a light, oh like Esau, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but but uh, this is probably talking about the clothes that he was wearing. He was wearing these garments of hair. And this was uh, very common for the prophets of Israel to dress in this very simple, crude manner because it was a sign of repentance. It was a sign of calling for repentance from the evil in the country that they were living in and prophesying to. And so he says, this hairy man with a leather belt around his waist. And Ahaziah said, it is Elijah the Tishbite. It, uh, that's the craziest part about it. Ahaziah knows exactly who Elijah the Tishbite is. Verse 9, then the king sent him a captain of 50 with his 50 men. So he went up to him, and there he was, sitting on the top of a hill. And he spoke to him, man of God, the king has said, come down. So Elijah answered and said to the captain of 50, if I am a man of God, then let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. And fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. Then he sent to him another captain 50 with his 50 men. And he answered and said to him, man of God, thus has the king said, come down quickly. So Elijah answered and said to him, if I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50. And the fire of God came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. So Ahaziah has sent these, this group of, this first group of 50 men and a captain to find Elijah the Tishbite, bring him back to him. Now we don't know why he wants to bring him back. We just said, no, Ahaziah is like, bring him to me. Now it very well could be that he wants him arrested. Notice that the <clears throat> captain gives a command, come down. Now, he calls a man of God, and then he tries to control him like he's not a man of God. And I, I know we look at this and go, wow, man, that's pretty rough of Elijah to call down fire from heaven. Well, first of all, let me just say this. God, uh, Elijah, did not call the fire down. God brought the fire down. It's important that you see that because he says, if I am a man of God, then let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. All right, Lord, if I'm a man of God, let this fire come down. And so it did. And, and these men here are insulting to Elijah. They're insulting to Elijah's God because they think they can control the times and the seasons and the affairs of men. And they're really coming out against Elijah in a way as an enemy with their 50 men thinking they can control him. And we see how just how, how fallen into idolatry northern Israel is. And so as Elijah says, well, if I am a man of God, then, then let fire come down from heaven and consume you. And so it does. But notice what the second captain does. The second captain even becomes more bold. Come down quickly. Get down here. And, uh, and Elijah, Elijah on the mountain, well, if I am a man of God, okay, when are you going to learn? that the, the, These men should be approaching Elijah with fear. They should be approaching the prophet of God, recognizing that this is the man of God. We shouldn't be approaching, we shouldn't even be trying to come out here and capture him. 
This is God's agent, and we should respect that. There, you know, the Bible uh, tells us that honor is due our governing authorities and our governments, um, with the exception of when it goes against the word of the Lord. We have a higher authority, that being God. And, and when you look at our founding documents, it's quite incredible because when you read the Declaration of Independence, that is really truly the case that is made against the King of England is that they have violated nature's law, which has been given to us by nature's God, that God has created us with certain inalienable rights. And that is the grievance that the colonies brought against the King of England in their Declaration of Independence because they recognized that these abuses that were coming from England were not right and should not be adhered to. Well, Elijah says, all right, um, let fire come down. Fire comes down again. Now, God is showing his prophet to be a man of God. God is doing the work. Well, verse 13, again, he sent a third captain of 50 with his 50 men. The third captain of 50 went up and came and fell on his knees before Elijah and pleaded with him and said to him, man of God, please let my life and the life of these 50 servants of yours be precious in your sight. Look, fire has come down from heaven and burned up the first two captains of 50s and their 50s, but let my life now be precious in your sight. Oh, we're learning. <laughs> we're, we're getting somewhere. This is probably what the, the second captain should have done, but I love how he approaches it with, please let my life and the life of, these are your servants. They're, they're not the servants of the king. Uh, please let them be precious to you. So verse 15, and the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, go down with him, do not be afraid of him. So he arose and went down with him to the king. Then he said to him, thus says the Lord, because you have sent messengers to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron, is it because there is no God in Israel to inquire of his word? Therefore you shall not come down from the bed with which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. Now this is the second time Ahaziah has heard this message. Um, as Elijah is given confirmation from the Lord, now it's time to proceed and go down and go speak to Ahaziah. Don't be afraid. Go with him. And now he gives this message a second time. And you know, the sad part about this is we don't read anywhere in Scripture that Ahaziah repents, that Ahaziah recognizes that, wow, my time is coming. I mean, I, I, most of us don't get this luxury of knowing that, okay, you're going to die. This is, this is the time, point in time. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation, that now is the time. And, and really what it comes down to is that, yeah, you don't know that, that you're going to die tonight. Probably most of us don't think we're going to die tonight, and that's one of the reasons why we came to church. We, we're not putting affairs in orders. We're not, we're not calling up our loved ones, saying goodbye, sharing the gospel last minute and all that sort of stuff, or whatever you might be doing if it was your, your time coming. But um, we all recognize that when God offers salvation in his grace to you and to me, we should receive it. We should take it. It's a wonderful gift that God is offering. It's not something we should put off and put off and put off and let our hearts harden toward him. And say, oh, tomorrow, oh, tomorrow, oh, tomorrow. And uh, I have a lot of stories about that, and I don't really want to bring up names, but those who have sat and heard the gospel over and over and over and over again, but put it off and put it off and put it off, and then their time has come and they have not received. So today is the day of salvation, the Bible says. And when we recognize, when we think about death, we know that unless the Lord tarries and raptures his church, death is inevitable. It's coming for each and every one. But when we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, we, we know that he is the resurrection from the dead. He is, in him we find life, and we will not see death if we believe in the Lord Jesus. So it's a reminder, Ahaziah's life is a reminder of that, that when God calls to repentance, it's time to repent and come to him. Verse 17, so Ahaziah died according to the word of the Lord, which Elijah had spoken, because he had no son, Jehoram became king in his place, 
in the second year of Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. Now, this is a little confusing. Basically, there's two Jehorams reigning, one in the southern kingdom, one in the northern kingdom reigning at the same time. They both have the same name, but we'll sort it out as we go. Verse 18, now the rest of the acts of Ahaziah, which he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? All right, chapter 2. And it came to pass, when the Lord was about to take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. Then Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Bethel. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Now the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And Elisha said, yes, I know, keep silent. <laughs> this is strange. In fact, we're going to see this happens a couple times, and, and, I, and I, I think it's kind of fair to say that in this passage, we don't fully know what's going on, but Elisha certainly knows what's going on. So as Elisha is traveling around with Elijah, we already know that Elijah has been, Elisha has been told that he will take that mantle from Elisha, that he's taking over the, the prophetic ministry after Elijah. And uh, we, you can say, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> choked on myself here. Um, you can say Elisha, Elijah, or Elisha, um, however you want to say it. But Elisha uh, ha- is following around Elijah, and he's told by these, uh, the sons of the prophets, it's, it's a, a school of prophets, basically. It's a whole group of men that are prophets in the northern kingdom, that uh, Elijah is going to be taken up today. Don't, don't you know this? And so Elijah says, yeah, I know, I know. I know. Don't be silent. So he, he continues showing his faithfulness. Uh, verse 4, then Elijah said to him, Elisha, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. Now the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho came to Elisha and said to him, do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? So he answered, yes, I know. Keep silent. Then Elijah said to him, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to the Jordan. But he said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on, and 50 men of the sons of the prophets went and stood facing them at the distance. Well, the two of them stood by the Jordan. Now, I'm going to pause there for a minute. So uh, Elijah travels first to Bethel. Then he comes to uh, Jericho. And now, and in each time he's told Elisha, please stay here. But Elisha says, no way, I'm not going to stay. I'm coming with you wherever you go. Now, I I know earlier on in Kings, when a prophet said something and people didn't respond and do it, uh, there were dire consequences for that, them, their disobedience. And like I said, Elisha obviously knows that this is some sort of a test, that, that his test is to be there with his master Elijah and, and, and be there in that moment of the Lord receiving him. So Elisha just keeps reconfirming that he will not leave Elijah and he's staying with him. So now they go from these two cities to the country, to the wilderness, to the Jordan. And verse 8 says, Now Elijah took his mantle, uh, rolled it up, and struck the water. It was divided this way and that, so that the two of them crossed over on dry ground. How cool would that be to see? He just rolls up his, takes off his mantle, rolls it up, and wha-bam! And, and let's walk through. <clears throat> it was... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that there's much significance in here biblical, uh, for, us to, uh, for us, but, but it's just awesome that they just cross over the Jordan River on dry ground. Verse 9, and so it was when they had crossed over that Elijah said to Elisha, ask what may I do for you before I am taken away from you? Elisha said, please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. Now, sometimes... Uh, this is interpreted that, that Elisha is asking for double the power, double the miracles. And that's really 
not the case here. Uh, what, what Elisha is asking for, we already know that Elisha has been called to this ministry, this prophetic ministry. But Elisha is asking to inherit that spirit of power to accomplish the ministry. In fact, uh, Deuteronomy 21.17, we're reading about uh, how to divide up your will when you leave behind your property. And Deuteronomy 21.17 says, but he shall acknowledge the son of the unloved wife. Basically, if a person has two wives and there, there was a firstborn to a wife that he didn't love, this is how you break up the, the, um, the will. Uh, the unloved wife is the firstborn by giving him a double portion of all that he has, for he is the beginning of his strength. The right of his firstborn is here, his. So the right of the firstborn is the double portion. It's the inheritance. It's it's I'm the one who who's taking taking the inheritance and I'm leading on in the way this family goes. So um, those of you in um, who are firstborn children, you deserve the double portion. So rub it into your siblings. And I'm just kidding. Crud, I'm the third. Oh man. Anyway, <laughs> so um, so this is uh, this is basically saying that uh, Elijah. Please let me have the right of the firstborn, the inheritance. Let me inherit from you a double portion of your spirit. Let me, let me have that right to accomplish the ministry to which uh, God has called me. It's a beautiful ask on Elisha's part. So Elijah says, you have asked, verse 10, you have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken from you, it shall be so for you, but if not, it shall not be so. Then it happened as they continued on and talked that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And, and Elijah saw it and cried out, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. So he saw him no more. And he took hold of his own clothes and tore them into two pieces. Now I'm going to stop there for a minute. Do you remember Elijah's prayer from 1 Kings 19? Remember, after he faced off with the prophets um, uh, of Baal on Mount Carmel, he then retreated and he prayed a prayer because he felt like hey, how come Israel didn't repent? How come nobody changed? And, and he prayed this prayer in, in 1 Kings 19.4, he writes, he said, uh, go ahead and put it up there. Maybe. 1 Kings 19, you got that? Well, I'll just read it. So, um, 1 Kings 19.4, he says, it, oh, there we go. <laughs> uh, just skip down to about the middle. It says, uh, he prayed that, he, <clears throat> so, and he prayed that he might die and said, it is enough. Now, Lord, take my life. For I am no better than my father's. And Elijah at this point in his ministry feels like a, kind of a total failure. He feels like he, he, didn't get, he didn't get what he was expecting to see. He didn't see this great repentance. And he asked for God to take his life. And I love the fact that God chooses not only to not answer his prayer at that moment, but to never answer his prayer. Uh, God sends down this chariot. Uh, with these horses and flames, and it separates the two of them. And suddenly, the chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. Elijah never died. He just was taken right to heaven. And uh, God chose not, not to answer that prayer ever. So Elisha, as he sees it, he cries out, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. Now, what, what, what he's crying out is, uh, remember, a chariot is a, a weapon of war. A chariot is, is a symbol of strength and power. And Elijah, as, as he's being taken up, he, he's crying out that you were Israel's strength. You were the, the, the power of, for Israel. You, 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 my father, my father, you were the chariot of Israel and the strength. And, um, and so we see as he, he cries out and says his goodbye to Elijah, it's an end of an era. 
and Elisha is going to take up that mantle. So it says that he tore, he, he took his own clothes, tore them in two pieces. He also took up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him, went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan. Now remember what he asked? What did he ask for? Double portion, not double the power, double portion. He asked for the inheritance of Elijah's spirit. And so now he's back at the Jordan. What did Elijah do when he crossed the Jordan the first time? He rolled up his mantle, smacked it. So then he took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water and said, where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he also had struck the water, it was divided this way and that, and Elisha crossed over. Man, can you see that moment happening? Okay, this is, this is it. I saw my master be taken up. I asked for a double, I asked for the inheritance. Where is the Lord God of Israel? Poof. Wow, how, how affirming to Elisha that, that his prayer, his desire had been answered, that he, he not only was given the prophetic ministry of Elijah, but the prophetic power of Elijah. So he crossed over. Verse 15, now when the sons of the prophets who were from Jericho saw him, they said, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. Then they said to him, look now, there are 50 strong men with your servants. Please let them go and search for your master, lest perhaps the spirit of the Lord has taken him up and cast him upon some mountain or into some valley. And he said, you shall not send anyone. So isn't this typical of people? When, when a really godly man dies or, or a pivotal person, we're like, oh, just please bring him back one more time. Uh, I remember when Chuck Smith passed. Uh, it, you know, Chuck Smith was very vocal about when he passed. He didn't want any statues erected in his memorial because, you know, that's what people want to do, right? Oh, you know what we need here? We need a statue to Chuck Smith or we need this. And obviously he was, a, 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 you know, he was referred to as Papa Chuck. Uh, he was founder of the Calvary Chapel movement, well-respected man of God. And uh, he said, you know, when I pass, don't you dare pray for me to come back from the dead. I, I'm going to have this glorious curly black hair. You know, nobody can imagine him with that. <laughs> and uh, I remember working the prayer lines at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, that, uh, shortly after his passing. And sure enough, people called in, can we pray that Chuck would be brought back from the dead? I was like, I'm sorry, No. <laughs> no way I'm going to pray that prayer. He doesn't want to be taught, brought back. He wants to be with his Lord, you know. And uh, it, people do that. They, oh, hey, well, maybe, maybe God messed up and just tossed him over to that hill over there. Let's go look for him. <laughs> you know, let's go find Elijah. And uh, <laughs> Elijah says, you shall not send anyone. Verse 17, but when they urged him till he was ashamed, he said, send them. Okay, basically, like, uh, you can see Elisha just, oh, come on. Really? Fine, go. <laughs> You're not going to find anything. Go. So therefore, they sent 50 men, and they searched for three days. Guess what? They didn't find him. And when they came back to him, for he stayed in Jericho, he said to them, did I not say to you, do not go? Uh, there was a big I told you so. Sometimes I told you so is actually totally relevant. Verse 19. Then the men of the city, that's Jericho, said to Elisha, please notice the situation of the city uh, is pleasant, as my Lord sees, but the water is bad and the ground is barren. This is a problem. It's great to have a pleasant city, but if the water is no good and the ground is barren, what's the point of being in that pleasant city? right? Uh, it's kind of like, we've got the best place. This is great property. I don't know if you know this or not, but that was the situation with Constantinople. When Constant, the Emperor Constantine chose it to move the Roman Empire to the east, and uh, he established Constantinople, one of the major problems was there was no water. And in order to actually get water with the growing city there. It took a monumental feat of building aqueducts and the, and the like to actually make it so people could live there. Uh, and so Const Constantine did it by building. 
But uh, here they come to the prophet Elisha, and they say, listen, the water's bad. Verse 20, he said, bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went out to the source of the water, cast in the salt there, and said, thus says the Lord, I have healed this water. From it there shall be no more death or barrenness. So the water remains healed to this day according to the word of Elisha, which he spoke. So does salt work for cleaning up water? No. Can the Lord clean up water? Yes. Um, Notice what Elisha asked for, a brand new bowl, a brand new vessel. He he asked for a brand new vessel, which is what he is. He's a new vessel to the Lord. And they approach him and say, listen, this is a real problem. This is a need. And you're a prophet of God and you can fix this. Wouldn't it be great if all of Israel had the same attitude toward God? That, hey, we have a problem. Let's go to God. Not like Ahaziah who said, we have a problem. Let's go to this, uh, let's go to the God of Ekron, Beelzebub. So Elijah takes the salt in this brand new vessel, pours out. Obviously, salt represents that sterilization, the preservation. Uh, but it was really, it's the Lord who healed the waters. And, and that's important to remember. It's because they came to the Lord's servant and they looked to the Lord and then the Lord healed the waters. Verse 23. Then he went up, hold on, I've got to make sure I got, yeah, verse 23. Then he went up from there to Bethel, and as he was going up the road, I love this story. <laughs> now this is a proper king story. As he, as he went up the road, some youths came from the city and mocked him and said to him, go up, you bald head, go up, you bald head. So he turned around and looked at them and pronounced a curse on them in the name of the Lord. And two female bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the youths. Then he went from there to Mount Carmel, and from there he returned to Samaria. This is a great story in Kings. This this is a proper King story. (laughs) So what's going on here? Well, first of all, let me say this. Um, As he's going up to Bethel, Bethel was actually one of the centers for idolatry in the northern kingdom. And um, these youths, when it says youths, we're not talking like five-year-olds. There's not like a bunch of toddlers. Like, eh, I don't know what I'm doing. Actually, we're, we're definitely talking young men. Uh, now, it, it can be a young child, but, but a young boy, but we're talking young men here. And, and uh, there's a couple places where the same word in Hebrew is used. Uh, Genesis 41.12 refers to Joseph, who was 39 years old. Uh, with the same word. To Absalom is an adult in 2 Samuel 14 and 18. Same word is used of Solomon when he was 20 in 1 Kings 3. So this word doesn't just mean children, like young children playing around that they don't know what they're doing or they're just being dumb children. This is, this is 42 young men. This is a gang. It's a street gang. All right? Just imagine it that way, right? This gang coming out, right? Uh, this gang of Hebrews ready to tease bald-headed Elisha. So uh, uh, as we know that um, Elijah was known for being the possessor of hair, the hairy guy. Uh, Elisha is known for being the bald head. And uh, he says, go up, you bald head. Go up, you bald head. And really, I, I really believe what they're saying here as they mock him is go up just like Elijah did. Get out. Go up. You, you ball-headed guy, go up. Now, <clears throat> I want to say this. Parents, train your children. And children, honor your parents in the Lord. My uh, uh, Proverbs 1.7, we read, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. This is Saul, King Solomon's advice to his son, this wisdom that he imparts to him, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of, of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Well, what, else, what is the fear of the Lord? Proverbs 8.13 says, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverse mouth I hate. See that? Fear of the Lord is to hate evil, the perverse mouth, the mocking perverse mouth I hate. In fact, Deuteronomy 6, 
the great Shema, 6-4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. Verse 6, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them you, when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. There's a command, a charge to parents to teach their children the fear of the Lord. A, a command, a charge to teach their children diligently in the word of the Lord. Now, we recognize that, that once our children become adults, that's, they're, they're free. They get to make choices. They're volitional beings. We can't control those things. But certainly there's a charge in Scripture for us to teach our children to fear God, to hate evil, to walk in the way of the Lord, and to learn his word. Not to just let our kids figure it out for themselves. My, my family and I, uh, we've grown to love the Mark Rober YouTube channel. He's a former NASA engineer, worked for JPL, worked on the Mars rover. He's got a fun YouTube channel. He's always making something new or neat. And, um, but at Christmas time, a few years ago, he started uh, Operation Porch Pirate, where when he saw these packages being stolen off our front porch, he decided, I'm going to figure out how to get these people back. Because when he called the police, they said, look, it's not really worth it. We can't do anything. So he came up with this method of, of creating this glitter bomb. And you can look it up, glitter bomb or Mark Rober, uh, where he found the, uh, like a pound of the finest glitter. And then he added to it some fart spray. And, and, and then because he's an engineer, he figured out a way that it would have four cameras so he could record it and get GPS location. And he wrapped it up and left it on the, on the, on the porches of, of people's houses. And sure enough, people came along, stole the, the glitter bomb. They'd open it up. And, and uh, he had some quotes from Home Alone. Uh, Keep the change, you filthy animal, you know. And it would shoot all this glitter in their cars and let out the fart spray. The whole goal of the fart spray was that they'd throw it out of their car and he could retrieve it later. Well, now he's on the fourth generation of this glitter bomb. And it's super fun to watch because you watch these people just go, oh, I can't smell what's going on. But you know what's really sad is when you see kids who have stolen packages bring it home and their parents encouraging them in this evil. That's what's really sad. The parents encouraging them or, or saying, oh, you probably... You shouldn't have done that, but let's keep it. Or are you sure no one saw you? Are you sure no one saw you? Okay. And, and they're just encouraging their children in evil. And let me just tell you, just like these 42 youth, their end may be very much the same. Because when you encourage your children to do evil and not fear the Lord, you're really encouraging them to not live long in the land. Ephesians 6, 1, we're, said, we're told, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Well, these 42 youth, these uh, young men, have never been taught to fear the Lord. They've never been taught by their parents the word of the Lord diligently as they talk, as they walk, as they sit in their house. The, the word of the Lord has been a barren to the children, and as a result, when they meet a prophet of God, they have no fear of God. They have no fear of the Lord. And to them, their end comes in the form of two female bears that maul them. Wow. Can you imagine if two female bears come out of the way? Now, notice this Elijah doesn't call out the bears. Elijah looked at them and pronounced a curse on them in the name of the Lord. Cursed are you in the name of the Lord. And then the bears come out. That's the Lord. The Lord is, is bringing judgment upon them. And then he went up from there to Mount Carmel. From there he returned to Samaria. Uh, parents, I can't stress enough for you to train your children in the way they should go. And children, honor your father and mother. It's important. And it, will, and, it, and it has a promise of life that comes with it when you learn to honor your mother and father. All right, that's the end of chapter 2. We're going to close it out tonight. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word tonight. And uh, Lord, we do need fear of you in this land.
God, our founders said that this democratic republic that you've given to us would only work if we had a moral people. And Lord, we look around the land and we see that it is becoming hard to find moral individuals, individuals who fear you. And so, Lord, we pray that we might be a light of salvation, a light of truth to this world, to our culture, to our communities, our neighborhoods. God, may we stand for truth and honor you. Lord, we pray for a harvest. We pray for people in our country to repent and turn back to you. Save, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Pray all this unto you, Lord God. We love you and we thank you. Amen. Oh, God is so good. Now, may the God of peace himself give you peace always in every way. The Lord be with you all. Amen.